We've got a game time and broadcast channel for OU Texas. But before that, we've got Iowa State. Are people overlooking the Cyclones a little bit? We'll talk about that and so much more on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners Live. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase of the best last-minute ticket deals around. Go to Game Time wherever you get your apps. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John Nine Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. The show is at Locked On Sooners. And thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Josh, the Iowa State Cyclones come to town for a primetime kick on Fox Sports One. Are people overlooking the Cyclones a little bit, in your opinion? Not necessarily, in my opinion, but probably it's healthy for everyone to have the expectation that this is an Iowa State team that has, in fact, made progress from the Ohio debacle that we're just several weeks removed from. Again, I do look at it and say that is a terrible sign, another terrible sign for Oklahoma State moving forward. But uh, Rocco Beck throws for 350, multiple scores. It uh, On some level, he's starting to, yes, improve and figure things out a little bit, which is not altogether surprising, right? Somebody that's kind of making their first several starts and all of a sudden uh, we're seeing some improvement. But do, uh, do I think Iowa State is something that Oklahoma should be particularly concerned about? No, I don't. I kind of look at this game through the lens of, if Oklahoma is what I think Oklahoma is, at least to this point, then I expect Rocco Beck and Iowa State to really struggle to move the football. And uh, I expect Oklahoma to hopefully be able to put some some points on the board and win this game fairly comfortably going into Red River. But inside those four walls, as they say at Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium, John, I'm sure they have a much different feeling on Iowa State than maybe yours truly does. Well, I think what happened this past Saturday is great fuel for the fire. If you need any kind of motivation for getting up for Iowa State, Rocco Beck throwing for over 350 and three touchdowns, Iowa State scoring 34 points, beating Oklahoma State, albeit maybe a bad Oklahoma State team, still beating an in-state rival. Man, I love that all of that just went down this past Saturday because it's going to be fresh in everybody's mind. The coaches are going to be able to point to what happened just a couple days ago as they do their game prep and get ready for the Cyclones. And honestly, they'll be able to point to, okay, the Cyclones have given Oklahoma fits over the last couple of years. And they're not a team that you can you know, take lightly or sleep on at all because you'll be in a bit of a dogfight. Even last year when Iowa State's offense wasn't very good, the defense was still tough, and it gave Oklahoma a little bit of trouble, especially in that first half. Remember, they needed a Zach Schmidt fake field goal run to get their first touchdown of the game, and that was late in the first half. So Iowa State's not a team that you can really look past, even if their offense hasn't been very good. At least this past weekend, they were pretty good. 
but the defense has been better than what you know jet mentions in the uh the youtube chat that osu put up 27 points i mean but you're not seeing a lot of teams do that this year and i think that's because they are a good defense sometimes they just get beat and i do think oklahoma is going to be well prepared for them and they're not going to take anybody lightly and a lot of this also comes down to what i feel like is coming from the coaches and the players they're playing with a bit of an edge and a chip on their shoulder because of everything that went down last year. They're not overlooking anybody. They're, you know, it's all coach speak. You take it one week at a time, game by game. We're one and oh this week. You know, the, the record's new. We start zero, zero this next week. It's all coach speak, but I really do feel like this team is buying that because they have no reason to be high and mighty because they were six and seven and especially on defense was one of the worst defenses in the country last year. So the guys like Danny Stutzman and key Lawrence, Isaiah code, Jordan Kelly, Ethan downs, uh, Reggie Grimes, Marcus Stripling, Woody Washington, uh, Billy Bowman, all these dudes that were critical parts of that defense and saw how bad things could be. They're not going to let anybody get too high on themselves because they know how quickly it can all fall apart. I think that's right, and Oklahoma needs to be on its toes for Matt Campbell, the Cyclones. They will pull out every last stop. Any magical bag of tricks that Iowa State has, you better be prepared for that this week because, frankly, the the difference between these two teams, John, I think is very, very pronounced. I'm not going to get, again, totally lost in the sauce here over what Iowa State did to Oklahoma State. I think that was two of the worst teams of the conference playing each other last week. So if that, if, if that is indeed the case, then Oklahoma has a chance here to a come out again, another very, very nice defensive performance B okay. I do have uh, some respect for Iowa state defensively, even though, you know, last week wasn't necessarily their finest performance of the season so far versus uh, Oklahoma state, but uh, a chance to come out against a pretty good defense and show, hey, we're committed to running the football and we're going to run the football effectively this week. And oh, by the way, all of this happens and who knows, you get to a fourth quarter where maybe you don't have to play the ones throughout the entirety of the fourth quarter and that can be helpful going into the the OU Texas game, right? Yeah, it very much could be. And I do believe that Oklahoma is going to win this game and win it handily. And I think they'll probably end up covering because they're a more talented team and a team, like I said, with a playing with a bit of a chip on its shoulder and wanting to continue to improve upon what a, is a really good start so far four and oh the you know the defense is only allowing eight and a half points per game the offense for the most part looks pretty good there are times where you know they've had their moments where they're not looking great but and have room for them to improve as well but all in all i mean you got to like the trajectory that they're heading on they got to continue to improve though but I think this week gives them an opportunity to, to still kind of work out some of the kinks in their running game, work out some of the, the wide receiver rotation stuff because several players are earning more opportunities. And can they, honestly, I, I would like to see them maybe look at some formations without a tight end, but we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show uh, as well as the running game. And if it's showing signs of life about what they did against Cincinnati. we got so much to discuss. We'll take your questions, your comments here on the Locked On Sooners live show. Uh, but we're going to talk about the running game. And I really feel like they showed a little bit of promise, some signs of life uh, against Cincinnati. We'll talk about that after the break. 
And if you're looking for last-minute deals on tickets to OU versus Iowa State in Norman for a primetime affair, go to Game Time. Download the app. Use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE. You can get $20 off of your first purchase over at Game Time. Love this app. It's a great resource for concerts, uh, plays, the theater, going to games, whatever you're looking for, Game Time has got you covered, and they'll give you a view of what you're looking at if you decide to purchase a particular seat. You're not guessing what the what the vision is going to be like, what the line of sight is going to be like. You're not going to be sitting there like that USC guy who went to a game and only could see the 10-yard line and the goal line. No, Game Time has you better prepared for what you're going to be seeing on game day. So go to the game, go download the Game Time app wherever you get your apps, the Apple Store, Google Play Store, wherever that is. Use code Locked On College. You can get twenty dollars off your first purchase over at Game Time. Again, Game Time gives you all the best deals. Create an account and use code Locked On College. Twenty dollars off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, low price guaranteed. And again, thank you so much for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Free and available on all platforms and on YouTube. Hit that notification bell and hit that subscribe button. And hey, drop a like if you're here in the YouTube channel watching live with us. We appreciate all the conversation that's happening over in the uh, the, the YouTube chat. It's always a fun time to see what y'all are talking about because that helps us uh, decide what we're going to talk about as we're watching what's going on. But Josh, as I thought more about what Oklahoma did against Cincinnati, especially in the second half, I really started to feel a little bit better about the running game. Now the run game has been very, very inconsistent this year in the first half against Cincinnati. It was downright bad. They averaged something like 1.8 yards per carry against the Bearcats in the first half. Well, you come back in the second half and they averaged 4.7 yards per carry at 16 carries, 70 yards, a much, much better performance against what is a really good defensive line with Dante Corleone at the at the front, the forefront of that attack, who could potentially be one of the best defensive tackles in college football. I thought the adjustments that they made in the second half were very beneficial and they worked really, really well. And I think the running the the totals could have been even better had not a penalty, you know, called a big Marcus Major run back. So am I crazy for kind of taking what happened in the second half and being a little bit encouraged by that. Am I, am I feeling too optimistic on that front, Josh? I'm not going to tell you you're crazy, but uh, I'm going to say for me, I'm leaning more in the camp of show me that you've improved legitimately versus Iowa state. I, nothing would make me happier this week outside of just continued play by this defense where you hold Iowa state to, you know, 17 points or less whatever number you want to throw out there, something below that figure would be positive, right? But uh, beyond that, offensively, the debates that have ratcheted up about Dylan Gabriel, that debate aside, nothing would make me happier than if Oklahoma finds a way to just go grind out 250 yards on the ground this week because time and time again, year after year after year, the OU-Texas game, it's old school football, baby. As much as the game changes, that game remains the same in the sense that typically whoever runs the football better wins the OU Texas game. So it's time this week for Oklahoma to really kick things into high gear. There were some positive signs. Yeah. At times, whether it was, you know, the third and 19 run for, for major in the first half or just the entirety of the second half versus Cincinnati, 
there were positives in it. The quarterback run game, save for a fumble, at times had some some positive elements to it. I'd like to see Oklahoma be a little bit more successful minus the quarterback run game because I think that's a better indicator of how the run is working for Oklahoma. But, uh, man, that's the big key this week, I think, for OU, outside of just however you can get into the win column, get into the win column, uh, and, you know, as many different things as you'd like to see, probably the number one thing this week is, okay, just go run the football effectively. They've got to figure it out, and I'm still kind of believing that they will as the season goes along, that they'll get better and better. I think the offensive line has to continue to improve. They're, they're still kind of figuring some things out. You're down your starting left guard. You're getting you're now to Troy Everett and you know a little bit of Caden Green. Uh, who knows if Savion Bird will be back this week? Uh, but you know Walter Rouse, Andrew Rame, McCade Matire, uh, Tyler Guyton, they've got to be better. The, these guys are veterans on your roster and on your offensive line. They've got to kind of lead the way for the Sooners team. And and running the football is a big component of what makes Oklahoma successful. And I and I do think it's going to get better. I really do. I think once they kind of figure out their running back rotation a little bit more, because as much as they want to go with the hot hand, that's fine. At the same time, you've got to play to get a feel for the game. You got to play to get a feel for what the blocking is doing in front of you. So much of it is about consistency and, and a little bit having some chemistry and being able to see what's happening in front of you. If you're not getting to play behind this offensive line, you're not going to get a great feel for what they're doing and not doing and how you need to work as a running back. And so if it's, you know, Sawchuck and Barnes one week and then Walker and, and major the next week, I think it's hard for, for guys to build on and, and learn from how things are going in one game to be able to build on that in the next game. So we'll see it is, if anything, that's been kind of the biggest complaint is what are we even doing with running back? Now I know major has been productive at times and Tawi Walker has been productive at times, but it just doesn't seem like they have a, a, a set in stone plan. It's just kind of like whoever looks good in practice each week is going to get the bulk of the carries. And I mean, that's one way to go about it, but practice is different than games. And we know what Javante Barnes is capable of. And so we'd, I'd really like to see him get the ball a little bit more, but ultimately it comes down to if the offensive line is blocking better in the run game, then the running backs will look better as a whole. Yeah, I definitely, for me, put more on the just offensive line run blocking than I do probably the running backs themselves who's been handling the carries, though that's not been picture perfect either. I, I think back to a Marcus Major stumble in this last game that looked like maybe it was blocked up to where if he stays on his feet, it's definitely a first down on, uh, I think it was a third down snap. Maybe it was a second down snap, but bottom line, he was, uh, he was picking up a first down there and I think he might've gone into the end zone this past week. So you got that Javante Barnes and Sawchuck. It's been well-documented, not just by us, but by just about everybody that, Hey, the injury bug has been a problem with those two. And so Oklahoma has been trying to navigate that and get those guys up to speed. And a couple of games ago when they really, wanted to force feed Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk. John, I thought that they did, yes, look a, a step slow. It didn't look like the two backs we saw versus Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl. So all of that is to say that, yes, some of it is, I think, on the running backs themselves. But again, to me, I just need to see this offensive line this week, whether it's Everett at left guard or if uh, you know Green does get an extended look there, whatever combination it looks like, 
This is the final week, final week to figure things out before Texas and really get some nasty established back in that run game. That's what we need. I mean, they need a physical presence and that's going to help open up everything else. There was a comment a little bit earlier in the show that talked about, um, you know, if throwing the football is our strength, then throw the football and open, you know, use it to open up the run. Uh, need to find that. Um, Cause it was a good comment. I, and I tend to agree, you know, right now, the thing that's most consistent about your offense is the passing game. And with the depth of playmakers that you have on the outside, you might be able to afford to go into it with a little bit of a Texas tech air raid style approach where I suggested it on the locked on Sooners Twitter account where you go four wide receivers and no tight ends and you just sling the ball around or you go two running backs, three wide receivers and you just sling it because I mean, say what you want about Dylan Gabriel. I think he's playing good football and you've got a good group of players at wide receiver and at running back that can catch the ball. Uh, you know, a, a wide receiver in particular, man, between Angel Anthony and Jaleel Farouk and Nick Anderson and Drake Stoops and Gavin Freeman, Jaquez Petaway and Jaden Gibson. You've got a really, really nice set of receivers that if you want to decide to throw it 60 times, I think you're going to you could find a way to win that way without having to run the ball 40 times. Yeah, and probably all of that uh, is getting explored or is about to get explored. Maybe that's uh, been happening in practice a little bit. And Oklahoma has an idea of kind of what that would look like, and you just haven't shown all of it on tape because, well, you've been able to navigate this schedule that's been handed to you. I, I think back to the SMU game, as many complaints as we could have offensively for Oklahoma, when uh, push came to shove, they went and made plays, right, to go separate late in that football game. And that's kind of been the MO in these uh, two close ones for Oklahoma, that when push came to shove, they, they went and found, a, you know, a, enough drives uh, that were positive for OU. But it's not been, you know, in the SMU and Cincinnati games consistent enough throughout. There's reason against the best two teams that Oklahoma's played, John. Whether we're talking about the run game or Dylan Gabriel or just the offense in general – there's reasons to be at least a little bit concerned about some of what we've seen. It's not totally humming yet for Oklahoma. I tend to be of the belief that with the run game for me until shown otherwise, Tommy Walker is the guy that should be getting the bulk of the carries because based on my eyes, what I've seen this, you know, so far this season, only going off what we've seen through four games here in 2023, he's the guy to me, John, that has been the, the most productive. So I'm hoping that this is the week where Oklahoma says, you know what, the uh, the tinkering, we wanted to give uh, Barnes and Sawchuk a legitimate chance of this thing. You look at just the, the game-by-game breakdown. Barnes was the leading carry guy in game one with 13. Walker had eight. SMU, it was Walker with 21. Major had eight. Tulsa, it was Barnes with 13. Sawchuk had nine. This past game, obviously, it was Major 15 and Tommy Walker five. So there's really been no rhyme or reason to who's getting the bulk of the carries so far this season. And I don't totally live in the universe that you have to, you have to, you have to have a number one running back. I don't philosophically believe in that, John. But right now, I just based again on the four games we've seen, think Tommy Walker has proven himself to be the best option. So I hope that he gets the most carries this week. He runs in a certain way that kind of gets everybody fired up. And I think when you're trying to figure out your run game, 
just give it to the battering ram. Just give it to the dude that's going to get downhill. It's going to pick up the tough yards and kind of lift everybody up with the way that he runs the football, that kind of stuff. You know, we talk about the physicality on defense, the way that like Danny Stutzman, you know, key Lawrence, Reggie Pearson, what that, the edge that they bring, the physicality that they bring to the table, how that can help kind of influence and infect the rest of the defense. The same is true for a guy like Toby Walker, who's getting out, just doing the dirty work that can also inspire and in, infect in a good way. Uh, the rest of the offense, you know, if you need physical tough runs, which I think you're going to need some of that against Iowa state, then I mean, Tommy Walker's proven to be the guy that's going to be able to make Make something happen when there's not much there. Uh, we got so much more to talk about here on the Lockdown Sooners Live show. We're so glad that you're with us in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to the show so that you can participate in the chat as well. Subscribe for free. That's all you got to do is just hit that subscribe button. Also hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. We're going to talk about Jaron Canick. We're going to talk about the tight end situation and so much more after the break. Do you love the convenience of getting what you want? right to your door well with doordash grocery delivery you can stop stock up for the week or order last minute cravings conveniently that's with doordash you've trusted doordash to deliver your restaurant favorites and again now you can get your grocery delivery that uh, actually delivers too with thousands of grocery stores to choose from you'll find the best in your neighborhood and boost your local economy with each and every order Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE at checkout. Limited time offer. Terms apply. That's 50% off. Up to $20. No uh, minimum subtotal and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE. So what do we want to touch on first? The fact that Jaron Canick was back at practice, according to Brent Venables. I think that's the most important news. I, I feel like he's playing really good football right now. You know, you go over to like uh, Pro Football Focus, which is a great reference for uh, stats and analysis. And the dude is just putting up pressures like crazy. At times, he looks like Oklahoma's best pass rusher with the way that he's able to get off the line of scrimmage and get into the backfield and put pressure on the quarterback. I really am liking what I'm seeing from Jaron Canick. The fact that he was back at practice and according to Brent Venables, who spoke at the Rudy's coaches show, he's looking good to go. So I'm encouraged by that. You want to have as many of your pieces available every single week. You don't want to be down anybody. The fact that you're already down Justin Harrington, it, it kind of thins your linebacker room out a little bit. So the fact that you've got your starters and Stutzman and Canick at Mike and Will, I think that's going to bode well for them as they go into Iowa State and then even down the road. I think he's playing really, really good football right now, Josh. No doubt. I I've got thoughts on Canick for you, but first let me just say, yes, Will, you may. Will writes to us, my first live chat, can I get a shout-out? Boomers sooner, hashtag O-U-D-N-A. What's up, Will? Welcome uh, to the program. Keaton, you are right on the money. Keaton writes, like the stream, you apes, to which uh, our man Gunny says, uh, who's an ape in the time of chimpanzees? I was a lemur, which uh, Gunny, I'm here to inform you, is an incorrect lyric. In the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey would uh, would be the correct lyric there. But uh, appreciate what all of you guys. What is that from? That's from Lo Loser, baby. That's oh, Beck. Oh, okay. Okay. That's yeah. that's Beck for you right there. But at any okay. rate, 
What's up, everybody? Welcome to uh, Lockdown Sooners Live. Happy to have everybody here with us. If you're not here and you're listening along uh, post-broadcast, well, just chime in with us at John9Williams. That's John on Twitter, at Josh on Ref, uh, myself on Twitter, or Twitter X, formerly known as Twitter, right? Uh, however you want to refer to social media. Jaron Kanick, they got to have him back, man. He, uh, he obviously has he's progressed into one of the key pieces of this defense. I do like the depth that Oklahoma has across the board, particularly at linebacker where we've seen Kip Lewis uh, do some nice things. We could go probably deeper along into the depth chart and still feel okay about what Oklahoma has. But even uh, this past week before the scary moment for him, just crumbling to the field, uh, Kanick has seven tackles. I mean, to me, John, you know, there's been sizzle with Jaron Canick. We've seen him fly to the football at times, and we've seen him flash that next gear athleticism. This past Saturday, for me, was one of the first times to where it felt like, okay, everything's really starting to click for Jaron Canick. It was like, okay, we see the athleticism, and it just felt like he was where he was supposed to be, kind of uh, at all times in the football game for the most part. So, yeah, I mean, obviously for Oklahoma to find out that he's back at practice, for Danny Stutzman to say, hey, he's good, that is uh, very, very important for Oklahoma. Second on the team in pressures right now, according to Pro Football Focus, behind just Ethan Downs, just showing off that athleticism and that speed and just the ability to get uh, to the sideline, make plays, get into the backfield and make plays. I think he's an ascending player. He's only going to continue to get better and better as he gets more and more experience. And I think that's, that's the fun part about this, Josh, let's go through a few questions here before we get to the tight end talk. Cause that's not going to be near as much fun. Uh, Seth Ammerman asks our intermediate pass game was humming and we kept going away from it, from it for bubbles and end rounds. My question to you is Josh, is this, is that going to change anytime soon? No, that will not be changing anytime soon. It's just, a staple of this Jeff Levy offense. And I will not uh, profess to be the completely educated party in why every single action happens, right? Why every single play happens. I could do with a little bit less of the, you know, wide receiver coming across the formation and either you hand it off to him on the end around jet sweep or you quickly flick it out to them uh, in the flat, which I feel like is at times a little telegraphed. And it, even the one throw for Dylan Gabriel that I think hits Stogner in the back was like a it, it, sort of separate from maybe these plays we're talking about here, but similar in the sense that I, I just hate that some of Oklahoma's offense is sort of predetermined. It feels like at times, I mean, that play was almost picked off and run back the other way. And you worry at some point that a, some of these plays are going to turn out that way. I could do less for the bubbles and the end arounds, but obviously, again, like I said, I don't profess to know everything about Oklahoma's offense, and I'm sure that Jeff Levy or anybody in that uh, on that offensive staff or for Oklahoma would tell you, well, you know, we do X because of Y and Z. But uh, to me, yeah, no, I could I could do without uh, a little bit more of it. If you've been following this show for much time, and especially last year you know my disdain for the at or behind the line of scrimmage throws it's just happening it's going to come and when your run game is not as effective as you need it to be this is a good way to kind of take pressure off of the running game to be able to pick up you know short yardage but 
I'm with you. I think so much of like the orbital motion that they're doing where the, you know, they're bringing the guy across and then they're looping him way back around behind the quarterback and then out to the flat and he's five yards behind the line of scrimmage. Those aren't really the throws that I like. If you're going to throw the screen, at least throw it at the line of scrimmage where you're going to have blockers in place, not five yards behind the line of scrimmage because you still have to gain five yards before you make it a positive play. I like some of the things that they do with Drake Stoops where it's, you know, just a quick little, almost like a quick little out that they throw to him. And then he's able to pick up four five, eight yards uh, a pop at different times. So some of it, I don't mind. I would prefer that they're attacking the sticks on every pass attempt because the stats and the data shows you that if you, Attack the sticks. If you throw down the field, you're going to have a much more efficient offense. If you avoid third down altogether, you're going to have a much more efficient offense. So I'd prefer that they don't even try to play for third down. Just avoid it altogether. Just attack the sticks when you're going to throw the football. Dylan Gabriel's been really good in the intermediate part of the field. So I'd like to see them continue to attack that part of it as well. Um, Another great question. This one's going to come from Keaton Galactodon. Galactodon? Is is that a... um, space dinosaur maybe or is keaton it galactus galaxy. is it a galactus reference yeah keaton galaxy uh, can we talk about the refs kind of showing they hate us josh i know that there were several calls that were either soft like you know gentry williams pass interference call or the non-call when Jill- for isn't able to make a chance on a play or make a play on a, what's up. I don't know what's up with uh, the refereeing right now. Yeah, it's uh, not, not great. And I saw somebody, uh, I, I don't know who put this out there on social media earlier today. So I, I apologize. I'm not giving proper credit to whoever uh, posted the tweet out there, but basically they ran through and, put the stats out there of SMU's penalties that uh, they had drawn in the three games that weren't named Oklahoma. And they went out there and put the penalties that Cincinnati had drawn in the games that were not named Oklahoma. And well, let's just suffice it to say that uh, rough, rough draft here, right? But let's say it was seven penalties on average for each in games, not named Oklahoma and two against uh, OU. So if uh, if you subscribe to the theory that uh, the Big 12 is out to get Oklahoma, it's uh, not been good in a couple of those games. And probably the reality to it is maybe there is a little bit something to all of that for Oklahoma where they're just going to flat out have to be above some of that. The, the review that they had in the game, I don't know how that they looked at the review and didn't overturn the uh, the catch at the beginning of the game. I, I, I don't know how you looked at that. It, it looked so clear and obvious that it was not a catch for Cincinnati. So look, it, it just, again, the idea that we're in this massive conspiracy theory, I have a tough time totally subscribing to, because again, this is uh referee's livelihoods and theoretically they're going to get held accountable for good and bad officiating John. And that could theoretically hurt their chance to earn in the future again all on paper theoretically but yeah it wasn't there were some not so great shall we say this past weekend i don't generally like to ascribe to conspiracies but 
I'm not going to sit here and say there isn't some influence that could be potentially happening. Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the Big 12. These officials are paid by the Big 12. These officials' livelihoods are affected by Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12. The, the revenue stream that the Big 12 can generate without Oklahoma and Texas is less than what it could with them. So to say that there is a conspiracy, I don't know. To say that they're being affected, maybe. But it would not surprise me one bit if 20 years down the road, some official says, yeah, we were directed to, to uh, you know, call things a little bit tighter against Oklahoma and Texas than we might otherwise. But you're right, man. The, the not overturning that one call where, I mean, his foot was clearly on the line is shocking. Why even have replay if you're not going to overturn that call? That's what replay is for. And then uh, they, they mentioned the Dylan Gabriel targeting. Sean B mentions it here on the chat. D that was absolutely targeting. He was a downed opponent. Sure, they gave him the 15-yard personal foul, but it was at the head. Like, that is textbook. You go to the replay to review if it's targeting or not. And I don't love the targeting rules, but if you're going to have them, enforce them. And if you're going to have replay to be able to review them, then you got to go to replay to review it. It's absolutely ludicrous and asinine that they did not even go to check if it was targeting because they didn't want to know they didn't want to see if it was targeting or not, but uh, yeah, I don't like talking officiating because I really do believe that everything that happens in a game is more dependent on the players and the coaches, but, and when officials get involved, it really irks me. I'd rather them call very little than call too much, but there are some plays that are just so obvious. Like the Jalil Farouk play in the end zone. That was clearly pass interference and no flag you know you have at least two or three officials watching that play from right there and to not pull a flag on that was absolutely crazy to me. The dude gets knocked over and doesn't have a chance to make a play on a ball that was almost intercepted. And that could have been a huge play in the game. And uh, Andrew Anthony makes maybe the greatest catch of the whole ball game. And yes. he was so <laughs> – obviously interfered with that one is a little bit of a, a basketball play to where it's like, Oh, we'll call a, we'll call a foul. If he doesn't make the the basket, right. Yeah. It's like, like I'll give him a little bit of grace on that to where it's like, uh, he really, it should have been an and one all along, mm -hmm. but uh, maybe they're waiting. Right. It's like, well, if he, if he doesn't make it, we'll throw the flag. So I don't know, man. Yeah. It, uh, it doesn't seem like Oklahoma is going to get a bunch uh, of uh, benefit of the doubt. Hey, cycling back to the top with, Iowa State, just uh, this little piece of the puzzle. I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about with this Cyclones game this week, how much are we learning this week from Oklahoma's just professional approach to this? Week in, week out. You said that you don't think this is a team with Brent Venables in year two and this group specifically that is going to be overlooking teams. Ryan here comments to us, we get everyone's best. It's always game seven mentality when teams play us. I'm with you on that. So on that note, John, is Oklahoma, are they going to show us that, hey, we're not taking anybody lightly and uh, they're going to come out here and just flat out go beat a bad team down? I do think so. I, I think they're going to, especially on the defensive side of the ball, continue to prove a point. They're out to, to prove that what happened last year is not indicative of what Oklahoma Sooners football is all about. And I think offensively, Dylan Gabriel 
usually when he has a couple games or a game where he misses throws that would be layup touchdowns, I think he usually comes back a little bit more locked in. Again, this is going to be a home environment, and that's going to you know play in Oklahoma's favor so much more offensively and defensively that I think that they're just going to run Iowa State out of the gym. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be times where Iowa State makes some plays either on offense or defense, but I think ultimately it comes down to Oklahoma covers. They win by 20 or more in this one, and we're all left feeling pretty good about the direction as they head into the Texas game. How about this? Uh, Iowa State's obviously unique. Drop eight and uh, insert your Lincoln Riley joke here if you would like to. But uh, Brent writes to us, will Lebby learn and scheme guys open down the field or will he still call plays to not show his hand to Texas? Iowa State's going to drop in coverage as usual and force patience. So a lot to dissect there. I'm mostly focused on the, the back portion of it, John. Can Oklahoma be, be patient this week? Will we learn anything positive in that regard? So here's where I think guys like Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson come into play because it doesn't matter if they decide to drop eight into coverage. You've got two guys that can go up and get the football and you can attack down the sideline, especially with a guy like Jaden Jaden Gibson, who's proven that he can go down the sideline and make a 50-50 catch every single time it's been thrown to him this year. So that, to me, he's one of those guys that's like a zone buster. You know, you want to drop eight in coverage and – not allow us to throw it down the field. Okay, we're, we might not be able to hit the post route to Anthony or Farouk like we've done this season. I mean, you know, he, he asked the question, the first part, will Levy learn and scheme guys open down the field? He had Jaleel Farouk schemed open down the field. Dylan Gabriel just missed him, like missed him bad, bad. But when you have a guy like Jaden Gibson who can go up and get the football and he's going to win those contested catches more often than not, you can throw that down the sideline and it's a kind of a low risk play unless they decide to, you know, shade a bunch of safeties over there, but you can throw it up to a point that only Jaden Gibson can get it. And you're going to have a good chance to make a big play down the field. I do think that Dylan Gabriel is showing like he is going to take what the defense gives him. He's not going to force the issue more often than not. And this week is one of those weeks where we see, I think a big Drake Stoops game and a big, you know, potentially a Gavin Freeman game. We might see a little bit more Jalil Farouk, uh, opportunities in this game. I think similar to what we saw in SMU, where it's going to be a lot of RPO and a lot of slants where you're trying to beat coverage. That's forcing you to take the underneath stuff. Be okay with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And if they want to drop eight in the coverage, then by all means, let them and you just run the football and let your screen game work for you. That's a, a heavy component to Jeff Levy's offense is the screen game. And this is a great opportunity to put that on display with guys like Stoops and Freeman and Petaway, where you can throw it to them like you did against Arkansas State 17, 20 times, and you're going to be able to be effective that way in marching down the football field and scoring points. By the way, the Jaleel Farouk play that Gabriel misses him and they don't make the connection there, a lot of people, and by a lot of people, I mean, everybody followed Teddy and Gabe's lead on this. Teddy basically, I, I guess, said on the radio broadcast, John, I didn't know this the other day, and I'm just going off of, and I think you are too, what you and I saw and probably most people saw live on television was an overthrow, right? A miss by Dylan Gabriel. But Teddy said it, I guess, immediately that Jalil Farouk was basically gassed on the route, that, uh, that you know, basically it was a little bit of Farouk kind of quitting on the route. So just, just throwing that out there in, in that particular instance, I would say to that though, to anybody that is quick to point that out, that 
look, over the course of however many games it's been Gabriel as the starter at Oklahoma, inaccuracies is is still a problem. In in, yeah. in even if it's not in that particular moment with Jaleel Farouk, even if it was kind of a Farouk was gassed in back-to-back snaps. And in that one instance, maybe it's more on Farouk than Gabriel. Unfortunately, because of the other plays with Dylan Gabriel and some of the track record there, people are quick to point it out and highlight it and say, see, look, I told you Gabriel has three, four, five. He misses a game. So I don't know, just interesting. And I thought, uh, yeah, my rebuttal to, to that would be it's the quarterback's job to throw it to the receiver unless you're just throwing it out to space and hoping your guy's going to be fast enough to go catch your ball. Like, no, your job's to throw it to a part where the receiver can get the ball. You know, you have to understand the speed in which he's running his route and get it to him. That's your job. That is your only job. I mean, that's the biggest part of your job is to throw it to your receiver. And I mean, if Farouk wasn't running as fast as he might normally run. Okay. I can understand that, but then you're still Dylan Gabriel, just kind of guessing. And you're like, okay, Farouk, he should be there, but I'm not looking to see if he's there or not. I'm just throwing the ball. So I, I don't know. That's my rebuttal to it. Still. I, I think, like you said, Dylan Gabriel doesn't really get much of the benefit of the doubt because we saw a bunch of overthrows last year and some this year. And listen, I'm a Dylan Gabriel supporter. I think he's going to be, I think he's a good quarterback and I think he helps this team wins, win football games this year. But yeah, you don't really get much of the benefit of the doubt right now because, yeah, you just don't. And and that's going to be the way it is with a lot of Oklahoma. Let's just call it what it is. People have a fear with Dylan Gabriel that he's not good enough to beat Texas. Simply put, he's not accurate enough. He's not this. He's not. He's not this or that enough to go win that game. And that's not just Dylan Gabriel specific, by the way, either. There's a lot of parts of Oklahoma that are that way that, hey, I need to see it to believe it. And you know what? I've kind of always been that way for the most part in sports. Like for years and years and years it was, oh, well, this is the year. Look out. Scott Frost has got his guys. Nebraska, you'd have one national analyst after another. Oh, Nebraska's winning nine, ten games this year. And I'm like, before the season, guys, why are you picking Nebraska to win nine or ten games until Nebraska shows you that they can win nine or ten games? Don't pick them to do that. So, hey, uh, again, if you want to see it to believe it, I get all that. Three more that I think are pretty good out here from the comments section. Are you ready? From BMG, baby. Are we going to see more from PJ? Yeah, I got to see more out of Poja, out of Bawari. He is among pass rushers who rush the passer regularly. He has got the second highest pass rush win rate of all Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, only behind Desan McCullough and, and McCullough's only got the one game. So if you want to even you know look at how many times that they've rushed the passer, I mean, Desan McCullough's only rushed the passer four times. Adepoja Adabare has rushed the passer 34 times and has a pass rush win weight, ri- uh, pass rush win rate of 20.6%. So one out of every fa- five pass rushes, he's winning. He's beating his guy. So yes, I'm ready to see more of Adepoja Adabare. I think he's a really, really good player and he's going to continue to ascend. It's super early in his career and he's already showing that he can be a game changer. He was like a tick, a tick away from a strip sack of Emory Jones this past week, which I think would have caused the internet to blow up if Adipoja Adabari gets that. And the pass rush is getting better each and every week. 
And the fact that he's getting more and more snaps, and I think helps the pass rush to show that they're getting better every single week. Couple more here. The well, we could probably for the next hour and a half uh, read your comments and, and just react to them. And they're really good. So appreciate you guys in the live chat. Midnight Wolf writes us and says, "Anyone else find it odd that no national media are really even talking about OU? Like even Joel Klatt likes to talk about OU on his pod and YouTube channel, and yet he has been unusually silent." Uh, John, I'll let you tee off on this in a moment. I would just say to uh, the same comment I made a moment ago, see it to believe it. And I think a lot of people kind of at the beginning of last season, right, coming out of that Nebraska game, Joel Klatt would be one of them. Remember, he called that second half of the Nebraska game by himself. He was actually did a great job on play-by-play. Somebody that does play-by-play, hats off, Joel. That was a, a nice call by you. But he was as impressed as anybody coming out of that game. And I don't think he was alone. I mean, he was alongside even a noted Oklahoma villain. Colin Cowherd was like, I think this team's going to the college football playoff or will be very much in the thick of that race. So I think a lot of people got burnt a season ago. And again, until Oklahoma goes and gets that signature win, unless it's unnecessary roughness, which I'll say that and no more, no more cloud for unnecessary roughness. Unless you're taking that approach, probably you're not saying much about OU right now. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't see a ton. I, I thought Kirk Herbstreet was really complimentary on the uh, ESPN College Game Day from this past Saturday morning, uh, just mostly about Oklahoma's defense and the improvement that they've shown. And I think that resonates, and I, and I think most people are still in a kind of wait and see because Texas is going to be the big test. But there are noticeable differences to what this team is doing, and I think that's a lot of where the national media is at, at least the respectable national media is at that, hey, they look improved. Things are on the right trajectory for the Oklahoma Sooners, but are they ready to contend? That's still part of a question that everybody's still waiting to see. That's why you didn't see Oklahoma make any movement, really, in the polls. They were number 14 in the USA Today uh, USLBM coaches poll this week, but I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm not necessarily needing everybody to talk up Oklahoma. Oklahoma will go and prove it on the field. And right, that's that's what we want them to do. That's the only thing that matters is what happens on the field, the wins and losses. And they look like a team that's going to win a lot of football games by the end, by the season's end. People will be talking about Oklahoma because I believe they'll be playing for a Big 12 title and potentially playing in the college football playoff. Well, and it's what we do. We live in the here and now and we react to what we hear. And because of your incredible support, we have this Locked On Sooners channel where you can get great, we think, great OU coverage every day. Love you everydayers out there. But ultimately, does it matter that much outside of Oklahoma is going to go prove it or not? Like I think back to the 2003 season, John, that we were living, and in the moment, live week to week, it wasn't crazy living it that, okay, this is the greatest college football team of all time, or is this Oklahoma team the greatest of all time? I live that. I remember that. I'm old enough to, yes, remember that season vividly for Oklahoma. That was a dominant OU team week to week to week, and they had that expectation going into the season and up until, obviously, the the Big 12 championship game and then the national championship game, they were living up to that. So, hey, you know, and then they didn't get the job done, right? So, ultimately – the Oklahoma's the greatest this or that of all time didn't matter for that team the same way that national media talking heads not talking about OU in that light right right now doesn't matter. It's earned. It's not given. 
yeah, I'm I'm still a believer. Whether Joe Klatt's talking much about Oklahoma or not, I'm a believer in what Oklahoma's doing right now and the and the way that they're going. Uh, a few more things. I mean, we can get outside the Oklahoma Sooners and talk a little bit of Big Twelve. Well, no, we gotta we gotta fulfill the promise of the uh, the rundown, Josh. We gotta talk tight end. Go ahead. I've got just one more before we dive back into Oklahoma specific. I just okay. because I thought this was good from Seth. Matt Campbell's imploded. So has Aranda. But Campbell was being mentioned for big jobs. Now no one's probably going to touch him. And Aranda in year four has regressed. So simple question here for well, I say simple. This could be a loaded question here for you. Either one of these two guys, do do either one of these two guys wind up with a big time job at any point in the future? Do they stabilize or have both of these two individuals, Campbell and Aranda, overstayed what were successful early early starts? With Aranda, so our guy that runs the Locked On Big 12 channel, Drake Toll, he also used to run Locked On Baylor. He's a Baylor alum. He seems to believe that Aranda gets at least one more year down there in Waco. I'm not so sure because the way things are heading, this doesn't look like a team that's going to be bowl eligible by the end of the season. And we just saw a kind of a Texas uh, legend go into Waco in GJ Kinney and beat the Baylor bears. And this is an up and coming head coach. I would not be surprised to see them fire Aranda and go get Kinney and make him the head coach. He's a Texas dude with Texas ties throughout the state because his dad was a high school coach. He was a you know, really, really good high school quarterback in the state uh, before going off to Tulsa and playing his college ball there has you know ties to Gus Malzahn, part of that coaching tree. So it would not surprise me for to see them go back to a, a guy who's more of an offensive coach because I mean, what, what is Dave Aranda there to do, right? He's there to create an elite defense that can help Baylor win on a consistent basis. That defense isn't there. And just like Seth mentions, they've regressed. And how much of that, you know, Big 12 championship team was still a Matt Rule uh, creation? Hard to say because they'd won two games the previous year, but they look like an average to below average program right now. And I don't think that that's going to linger very long for Waco and Baylor supporters. I, I just don't, I don't see that. Matt Campbell, I mean, he had opportunities to go to Big Big Ten jobs, and he might still. Like Michigan, it wouldn't surprise me to see Michigan State kind of reach down and, and pluck him out of Iowa State and say, hey, we, you know, we believe that with our resources and our, you know, the facilities that we've got and our ability to recruit that we could help Matt Campbell, you know, have better than three star guys with five star mentalities. We can get him four and five star guys with four and five star mentalities. So it wouldn't surprise me too much, but I kind of feel like he kind of missed his opportunity after the Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, you know, big 12, uh, appearance, big 12 title game appearance that they had a few years back. So it's hard to say, man. And I don't necessarily think Iowa state fires Matt Campbell because who are you going to get? I mean, he's, he's kind of the Mike Gundy of Iowa state, the guy that's had the most success there and who knows how long. And he's beaten Oklahoma a couple of times. He's got some feathers in his cap. That'll keep the job, but the question is, will somebody take a chance based on what's happened the last couple of years? I don't know. Yeah. And uh, final thought on that. Then let's get to what it probably folks are on the right side of the board. Like, Hey, are you ever going to talk about Oklahoma tight ends? Yes, we will. 
you know, collectively, this Big 12 conference, it, uh, man, like coaches that have done really good. Mike Gundy over his career, you know, folks are kind of dunking on Mike Gundy here in the chat a little bit and deservedly so. It's not going well. McGuire had a ton of momentum after, you know, year one last year with Texas Tech. It's going horribly wrong. Deion Sanders, uh, you know, okay, I'm still – Still see where that could be, you know, very successful long-term. But even that, I mean, wow, you're talking about things are going great. Then you got a house by Oregon. I think you're going to get a house again by USC. And I think there's some other losses on the schedule too. So all of these coaches collectively that will comprise the Big 12 going forward, man, uh, it's a little bit of a mess right now. It is, it is. All right, tight end. It's, it's time to have a conversation. I mean, Austin Stogner just is not it. And I hate to say that because he's such a respected part of this team and a respected part of the program, but whatever happened, I mean, his leg injury, it seems like it's just zapped whatever athleticism he once had. And you hate to say that he's a, a good dude with that works hard and, and puts his heart out there for Oklahoma. It's just hard to watch him play on the football field. And there comes a point in time where, okay, his veteran presence isn't helping you. Isn't enough to help you. He's actually got to be able to perform because there's too many times where he's missing on a block. The one catch that he had, he just looked so slow after he caught and turned the ball around. I just thought like, dude, just go down, just just take the ball and go down. Don't try. I don't know. What's your take on the tight end situation. I'd rather almost see them run without a tight end right now or make it Blake Smith's job until we can see what Caden Helms has or Jason Llewellyn has. But yeah, it's, it's time to, to find something else. Agreed. And I think this is a good thought from Keaton. You use stock for the red zone and then uh, use some of the younger guys for the rest of it. There's probably something to that. Yeah. It, uh, he doesn't look like the Stockner I remember nope. from 2020. And I, I hate, I hate to say that. I don't, I don't want to be negative about someone that I think is uh a great kid and has done some awesome things uh, at OU in the past. And Oh, by the way, has just kind of been snake bitten by injuries yeah. over the course of his career. But right now, physically who Stogner is, it doesn't look like what uh, I remember Austin Stogner being in the blocking element that you mentioned. Yeah. Is, is not good right now for Oklahoma. So they've tried and tried and tried these, you know, this first third of the season to make that work. And John, I think it's time. Yes. To honestly, I think Blake Smith's the best, best option right now, based on what he provides blocking And Oh, by the way, he's shown a little bit of wiggle after the catch, not saying that he's going to go be uh, Braden Willis or any of these other, you know, pretty good tight ends that Oklahoma's had over the last what 10 years. And, you know, dating back further than that. Now you start talking about some great tight ends that Oklahoma's had like Gresham, but he's serviceable. Right. And right now with Stockner, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I don't even know that you have serviceable with Stogner right now. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Um, a few more thoughts and questions from y'all over in the chat before we get out of here on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners Live again. Thank you so much for being a part of it. It's such a blast to do this with you every single week. Uh, it's so much fun to do it during football season because we have games to talk about. Does Texas struggle with Kansas, Josh? I think KU is going to score some points. Yeah. Uh, We'll see. This is going to be a nice little final statement for the Longhorns, positively or negatively, going into Red River. That was pretty impressive. I mean, think what you want to think about Baylor, but uh, for Aranda to be talking all that talk and then to just get waxed like that was 
impressive by Texas. And, you know, by and large, say for probably what uh, the beginning uh, a season opening contest and then that uh, what first half versus Wyoming, maybe three quarters versus Wyoming, Texas has been pretty impressive. So uh, one final chance to take things into the Red River game and do it as, you know, the pretty uh, not total head and shoulders favorite, but yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody's favorite going into the game. I like Texas to wind up winning by a couple of scores just because even though KU, I do see some improvement a little bit on the defensive side of the football, John, I just think uh, ultimately the environment and uh, having to score every single possession to go win this game. I don't think KU is going to be able to do that, but KU is going to have their success offensively too. Daniels is too good not to. I kind of like the wins that KU's had. You beat Illinois, you beat BYU, a BYU team that just beat Arkansas. So I'm, I mean, the spread is just way too big for me. I think KU is going to keep that one so much closer. And I think it's going to come down to similarly to what it did a couple years back where it went to overtime and Kansas was able to, to get the win on the road in Austin. I don't know if they'll get the win this time, but I have a hard time betting against them. Devin Neal has been fantastic this year. Jalen Daniels obviously has been great. I think their defense is becoming more and more opportunistic all the time. And I mean, I feel we, we did the exercise last week on the live show, which games do you feel better about worse about? I mean, I feel worse about that Kansas game right now because of the way that they're playing football. They're just a really, really good football team right now, and, and they're getting better and better. And I've got them third in my power rankings this week over at Sooners Wire, and that's because I feel like they're one of the best teams in the conference right now. We'll see if that holds up. They'll have, I mean, they'll have a chance to prove it against Texas, just like Oklahoma will. Uh, but it's it's fascinating to see their improvement continually under Lance Leipold. Yeah, and, and he's, I think, going to be a legitimate, big-time serious candidate for Michigan State, and we'll see what else opens up uh, regardless this offseason. Leipold's going to be up for those jobs. He kind of feels to me, John, like a Big Ten head football coach, just in the sense that, what, he won those national championships with Wisconsin, Whitewater, and everything. So he's sort of familiar with that. Uh, I think I've got that right for him. I think he's, you know, familiar with that part of the country and obviously he's, you know, having success again at, uh, at Kansas. So he could stay there, but again, if you stay, you run the risk of, I think, winding up like Aranda and probably the better example is, is Matt Campbell. Now they go beat Texas and no doubt he's going to be on everybody's short list. And Oh, by the way, for the Jayhawks after, you know, uh, a decade plus of being the nation's biggest laughing stock. All of a sudden, they're back in the Associated Press poll. You win this game down there in Austin, and you're you're a top fifteen team in America by everybody. And uh, so that that would be that'd be fun to see. Not just because hey, you know, horns down, but just for college football, it'd be it'd be a fun story. All right, final question for the night from Midnight Wolf. That's a great username. Which team do y'all think will become an OU insert team rivalry in the SEC? I think it could be Alabama. I have family that thinks it could be Arkansas. Josh, you got thoughts? Alabama will get will will automatically and does automatically have the respect of the Oklahoma fan base. So without Arkansas being locked in as an annual opponent, I think that takes a little bit of the luster away from that so uh, yeah out of those two i'd probably lean alabama just because the fan base simply respects alabama a little bit more than they respect 
Arkansas, and if you're not going to play Arkansas every single season, again, I, 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 you and I have sat here and said for a long time that Arkansas, to me, is basically Bedlam on steroids, potentially, to me. I mean, it's, it's basically replacing Oklahoma State with a better Oklahoma State historically. But uh, it doesn't sound like that's how it's going to play out with the SEC scheduling. Yeah, I think Alabama could be a great rival. They'll travel well. OU fans will travel well to Tuscaloosa, two great college towns with great stadiums. If they do, we need to have some kind of crimson-themed trophy to exchange back and forth between the two uh, with you know the Crimson Tide and the Crimson and Cream or something. You know, we got to figure out something there on that front because it's just Crimson Bowl. Easy. Yeah, the Crimson Bowl, just something. A bowl of crimson. I don't know. Um, and yeah. I think Arkansas could be a great, you know, yearly rivalry if that's how it plays out. But if it's not played every single year, I don't know how much buzz it'll create, but it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun matchup no matter what. I mean, Fayetteville is closer to me right now than Norman is. So I'm excited for that, that contest to take. You know, I would say this Olympic sports. I think Arkansas will be a bigger rival football. I think Alabama will be a bigger rival. I, I can totally see the scenario where, you know, Arkansas is pretty decent right now uh, in softball. And, you know, occasionally maybe uh, they think they can beat you a couple of times and probably they're not going to the way gas is going right now and whatever happens next at Oklahoma softball. But it, Oklahoma on the baseball diamond will have to elevate itself. Uh, you know, obviously they went to the Women's College World Series or the Men's College World Series Championship Series just a couple of years ago and were close to winning a national championship. But really the program hasn't been – at that consistent Arkansas level. So if OU baseball elevates itself a little bit, then I could see that being a big time rivalry and basketball. I think uh, it has the makings of that as well. Again, Oklahoma is going to have to get good again at uh, men's basketball, but with what they've been doing at the BOK with that series, Arkansas, maybe across the board, as I'm talking myself into it a little bit more of a rivalry, but not in the one that people care the most about football. Yeah. Like women's gym, it'll probably be LSU. You know, that'll be a fantastic duel if when that comes to pass. That'll be just so much fun because LSU women's gymnastics is so good and really creates a lot of buzz down there in Baton Rouge as well, just like Oklahoma's does in Norman, Oklahoma City area too. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Not Locked On Susan. I don't know where that came from. I think I'm just getting tired. I have two soccer practices for the kids tonight. Big Susan Sarandon fan. Oh, yeah. Big Susan Sarandon. Love some Bull Durham. It's good times. Uh, But, hey, Ethan Major, thanks for the shout-out. Locked On Sooners is fire. Seth Ammerman, thank you so much for letting us know you enjoyed the show. It says great show. Uh, thanks so much to everybody that took time to be a part of the sh- of the chat tonight. Always love uh, you all being with us. Midnight Wolf says thank you for your insights. J and J, Music Factory, right here. Um, but that's going to do it for tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks again so much for being a part of the show and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Remember, we're free and available on every podcast platform and on YouTube. Hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. Follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on Ref, myself at John Nine Williams. The show is at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. But until next time, he's Josh. I'm John Boomer Sooner. <laughs>